you trying to get these dates? Try. I think I think you're uh I think you're making it more difficult than it has to be to get topics. <laughs> 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 Gotta coincide. What what went on? On such and such day, because that's I'm a, journal, I'm a journalist. <laughs> journalist. I gotta figure out. Now. I gotta bring it in, bring it all in, tie it in uh, to daily events. The people are counting on me. <laughs> The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Well, hey, listen, let me tell you, getting back from cave last week, 85, 90 every day. Yeah. Well, welcome home. Welcome 70, <laughs> 70 degree water. Yeah. Welcome home. I mean, uh, it, temperature dropped in half on the way home. Yeah. I'm supposed to be teaching this weekend. It's going to be snowing. Yes. Yeah, baby. Uh, it's a big, it's Michigan, big, big man. slap in reality. I'm, I'm down there going, <clears throat> I forgot how nice it is to be in a dry suit with no ring system. For the gloves, yeah, just yeah, yeah. wet hands. I mean, the freedom of doing anything, grabbing a valve, getting into a pocket. Oh, everything. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so nice. Yes. Well, you get and then really now it's back used to, to stupid it. reality up here, yeah. you know? Like in a, within a day, you're going, I could do this all day long. Oh, This I, is I, nothing, I, you know? I know it. I think of that all the time. Like, phew, try it in a wetsuit. Try caving in a wetsuit. Because my dry suit, I blew like a whole arm out and I had to go rent a wetsuit. And uh, I was at Ginny, went and rented one. It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> Diving in a wetsuit. Right, right. I haven't done that in a long time. You know, like, oh, the freedom. You know, yeah, a, a technical the... type diving in a wetsuit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. And did you hear, uh, just was that yesterday, the day before, about that old uh, iron scowl that used to be up on the rocks in Niagara? Yeah, ripped I did, and blown I did off. see you a little that blurb thing? about uh, like that. I didn't look at it. Like knocking around on the river, yeah. that thing was pretty wild. Well, I so know. we've had some pretty crazy winds the last couple of days. Well, the the lakeside homes, the beachside homes on the Great Lakes are getting, I mean, they're the erosion from the wind it's and the waves. It's been crazy this year, yeah. They're extremely worried. Well, we had I, really high water early in the season. high water, yeah. And then the winds all season have been really rough. I think it's still high. I've got a buddy, an old rugby buddy, who has a place up in Forrester. Yeah. And like they used to be able to drive their cars down the beach. Mm -hmm. There's no beach now. Yeah. I mean, the water is right up to the rocks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, we had a high water. Well, you got to remember, what was it, five years ago or seven years ago? They were all like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Water level's down six inches or eight inches or whatever it is. You know, it... <laughs> Can t the planet can take care of itself. It's it'll wipe us out without a problem and take care of itself. That's my personal I, I humble personally opinion. Think that's what it's yeah. trying to do, and it will. I mean, even if we nuke this whole freaking planet, 
it's just a blink of an eye in its time frame that it would just, you know, grow over. <laughs> the the half life decay would go, and the next thing you know, it's uh, it's back in its old form. Yeah. It does not have a problem taking care of us in a billion years. Yeah, <laughs> which is a blink of an eye. Right. For us, we're whining about it. Oh, hey, I got nothing to do for a billion years. Well, you shouldn't have fucking been a dick. Oh, crazy, crazy. Um, so I also noticed, so this weekend, they're calling for some snow around here. Starting they're calling Wednesday, some actually. crazy winds yeah, we got around it. here. Like uh, winds upwards in like the, the 40s, 40-mile-an-hour mm-hmm. winds coming up. When is that? Uh, this coming weekend. Talking. Saturday or Friday? Uh, Saturday the 9th. So Friday is supposed to be okay? Friday is decent. It, it's, uh, it's supposed to be windy, I think. Today into tomorrow, then die down a little bit, and then get really okay. wild on, on Saturday. Saturday the night, you know what that is? Hmm. <laughs> those no. are the those, those are, are the, the gales the, of November. Like the gales of November, <laughs> exactly. I was uh, I'm, I was reaching there for a second, didn't take the me too old long. Wicked witch. <laughs> Remember the witch? Well, I do, but so so does Gord's gold. Gord remembers old Gordo. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you gonna what Are you, you gonna quiz you me on the of, lyrics of the what, Edmund Fitzgerald? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of when I say the big blow? Hmm. <laughs> Scarface uh, and a giant table of white powder. When I talk about a witch and the big blow, what uh, what comes to mind? <laughs> <laughs> In order to save my marriage, I'll say I don't nothing really. I was a not windy there. Halloween, a Salem, Massachusetts, on a hurricane. <laughs> hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with your November gayest host, <laughs> gayliest. O- old Jamesy, <laughs> and the no. Winter Witch himself, the Winter Warlock. I'd like. I prefer Warlock. Warlock. I'm more Warlocky, really. Yeah, but look at you, my beard. But when you get the blowing. When you get going, I could be witchy. <laughs> and uh, we are in the days of the uh, Great Lakes November gales, the legendary winter gales that occur out on uh, the Great Lakes here in this region. And for many, many years, sailors have tried to get that one last run in. True. And over old Mother Nature every now and again, whips her blistery winter tail (laughs) blistery witchy tail did you read uh some kind of writer's adjective book on your little trip i was got hours to kill on those drives kill on that drive (laughs) reading my haunted lakes book oh but yeah the great storm of 1913 the legendary storm of 1913 have there been worse or this, that's it. That's this the was worst the worst. Ever. This was the worst. Worst in terms of the amount of ships that went down, correct? Not For, necessarily in terms of the weather itself. Well, there's been four. Four big ones. You talk to any legendary sailor out there. Popeye? Popeye would agree that there's been four great storms out in the uh, on the Great Lakes. None of which compares to the Great Storm of 1913, though. Really? There was, um, in Lake Superior in 1905, there was a big one. So what do, when, when they say big, I mean, what are we talking uh, detail-wise? Like, how fast 
what is the speed and the magnitude of this, you know, speed of the wind? Funny the you should magnitude? ask. I, it's not that Because fun. there is a, <laughs> I looked up the old Beaufort scale. The Buford Wind Scale, yes. The Buford Wind Scale. Yes. Oh, as everybody a, knows that. As an aviation man in the your Buford. past life, you must know the, <laughs> the old Buford, scale. Buford Wind Scale. So it's a uh, it's a numbered scale that looks at wind speeds, and they rank these from zero to twelve. So a zero would be a wind speed under one, calm calm seas. Up to, uh, like, if you looked at a five, wind speeds are like 19 to 24 miles an hour. It's like a, they consider it a fresh breeze. Small trees are swaying. Uh, a Beaufort scale of a nine is 47 to 54 miles an hour. Strong gales. Slight structural damage occurs. Slate blown from roofs, which is kind of like when we were up in Harbor Beach over the summer. We had that first, uh, the day we got yeah. there, that Friday and then Saturday. This different. is like what we mm-hmm. had. You know, it was it was blowing mm-hmm. wild and uh, we could not get out and everything died down for us there on that Sunday. Right. And uh, the highest, the Buford scale of 12 is 73 or higher mile per hour winds. Hurricane force, they're considered. Violence and destruction. And the great... Mm-hmm. And the Great Storm of 1913 had a Buford scale of 12. Hmm. Hurricane force winds. Not because of it was the tropical depression creation of the hurricane, but because <laughs> of the destruction and wind damage. In his book, Great Lakes Shipwrecks and Survivals by William Radigan, which is kind of renowned as one of the classic Great Lakes survival books, Originally written in the uh, 1960s into the 70s, revised a bit. William Radigan writes about the great storm saying that seldom a November blows itself off the calendar without having brewed a great storm on the Great Lakes, such as the November 18th, 1958 gale that spelled doom for the Carl D. Bradley. But among these great storms, there have been four giants of their kind, creating epics of violence and destruction, leaving in their wake... Incredible legends that are too wild for fiction and therefore must be confined to the naked bones of stark truth. You got to be stark raving (laughs) mad to have been on the old seas. Although each of these storm kings raged across the Great Lakes in general, each of the four giants chose out one particular lake on which to visit such a preponderant loss of life and shipping that the name of the mass murderer has been attached to the scene of his greatest crimes. The big blows that dealt unparalleled disaster are known simply as the Lake Huron Storm of November 1913 that we're talking about today, the Lake Superior Storm of November 1905, Lake Erie's Black Friday of October 1916, and Lake Michigan's Armistice Day Storm of November 1940. Oh, so there's a big jump from those early early 1900 teens into the 40s. I was just going to say they were all early, so they didn't have the weather tracking abilities like they have now. So well, I that think was, that has to... It has a lot to do with do it. They, it. They yeah. say a, a lot to do with the Great Storm of 1913 was that at the time, the Weather Bureau which would be like similar to like those NOAA reports that we get right. when we're going to go right, look right, at lakes right. now, where the NOAA report comes out four times a day, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. But back in the day, it came out 
you know, the Weather Bureau reported they twice don't change eight a.m. and eight p.m. Oh, okay. So and twice, so yeah. much happened between mm-hmm. the eight a.m. and the eight p.m. when yeah. the, when this low pressure well, came up and, and collided. Right. And that's why I was going to ask you is. Although they might say we put it out four times a day or whatever times a day, if there's some real crazy weather coming, they'll put it out more often. When they wouldn't oh, you oh, well, if you were, were running the bureau? Well, yeah, well they were collecting the data and then they were they gave it to some guy to hand draw a map, you know, of what the wind w- looked like and what the what they thought the depression mm-hmm. was going to do and where it was going to move. Whereas today, I mean, in one second, all that well, data I know, is compiled I know. into but a still it doesn't moving take twelve living. hours. Yeah. <laughs> In the, in the and you don't need a you don't need a map. You can just say, "Listen, motherfuckers, get out of there." <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. Get off the water. Put your boats back in the garage. Not back then. Back then they had the uh, the uh, old Indian old Indian weather pole. <laughs> it was Morse code. Teletype. Pole is dry. <laughs> it's sunny. <laughs> pole is wet. Remember, this was the, it is raining. <laughs> Post World War One, so pole, or close to World War One. Pole I is falling over. Yeah. It is windy. <laughs> pole is white. It is snowing. That's the that was the weather uh, report they had back then. Nice. Yeah, historically, it was known as the Big Blow, the White Hurricane, the Freshwater Traces, the Freshwater Fury, Freshwater Fury. I'm the Freshwater Fury, bitch. Back off. If uh, if you look up some of the stats on uh, Wikipedia. It says that uh, it was the deadliest and most destructive natural disaster to hit the lakes in recorded history, killing more than 250 people, destroying 19 ships, and stranding 19 others. This was the 1913 storm. The 1913 storm, storm yes. yeah. yeah. So all of those, the, the big four, were all bad ones. Right. And every year around this time, this is why, like... Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the Great Lakes charters, they're done. Like yeah. October hits, like the first weekend, they kind of get weathered out. Mm-hmm. They pretty much pull the boats. Yeah, you know, unless just, there's some they freaky, so... like we've got two weeks of just sunny weather coming. Right, which yeah. it, which doesn't yeah. occur yeah, every now occur. and again. Yeah, but by the time November hits, the, the, the lakes can be so unpredictable, mm-hmm. and then like you go from being pretty calm day to being wild, yeah. wild windy weather and and. These changes that are changes so on fast. a dime. Now, yeah. typically out in the Great Lakes, though, even if it's a ho- horrifically wild storm, it's a couple of hours and it lasts, where it's really blowing hard yeah. for six hours or so. I don't know. I've seen it. You see it like every the now whole, and again. The, yeah, the whole yeah. day into the next day, it still just keeps going. St- but yeah. yeah, yeah, real mm-hmm. strong winds. But when it gets like extremely wild, mm-hmm. it's usually for a short period of time. The biggest issue with this great storm is that. It didn't stop. Yeah. And, I mean, you're talking waves over 30 feet in height that were just not like a rolling swell of, of, of 30 no, feet. Like, right. Like you see in the ocean. Coming, That's the difference, yeah, too. Yeah, coming I think in you succession, like yeah. three at a time and short, yes. choppy smashes that could take down and, yeah. and break in half 600-foot steel freighters. Well, that's the thing. The frequency is so short, you know, from peak to peak that it lifts the whole boat out of the water. And you're, you got you might have the bow and the stern resting on the peak of a wave, and there's nothing holding up the middle. Right, it's it's, it's or <laughs> it slams it down. You know, a 600 foot freighter in 400 feet of water, and the bow goes down into that crest, or yeah, down into that um valley of the wave, and just drives right into a 400 foot depth bottom. Yeah, wild. 
Yeah, it is wild. Breaks it in half. Just to think of it, when you see those shipwrecks when you're diving and you think, what the hell, snap this thing in half. Right. That must have been incredible. So the financial loss in the vessels was $126 million in today's dollars. Okay. So like like $5 back then. <laughs> the insurance companies like writing out a check, $1.37. <laughs> Lloyd's of London insured like... Here's your dollar thirty-seven for your freighter. What about the and cargo? Were, and they're like, "That's the thirty-seven cents." And they were happy. <laughs> they were happy. Pound of gold was three cents. Things were always better in the old days, according to old people. I could go to the store with a nickel and come back with a whole grocery bag. And you're like, "Yeah," but you got paid like three nickels in a year. Let's <laughs> let that sink in, dumbasses. What? Did, just because it's old doesn't mean it's better. <laughs> Except for me. Except for you. <laughs> so the uh, the entire Great Lakes Basin was devastated by the storm. That whole Michigan, southern Ontario, you know, uh, all around uh, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, like all, like all those states all around the area were just pummeled by the weather. Mm-hmm. Snow, like two feet of snow dropped. Um, like on the streets, like around these these lake towns, six foot snowdrifts destroyed the the infrastructure as far as uh, electricity, communications. You know, in all these towns, they had electricity. They had electricity back then. Hmm. Yes, <laughs> took out the candle business. <laughs> oh, I bet you the candle business was booming. <laughs> the candle business was always booming. nobody's <laughs> ever lo- nobody's ever looked at the. Uh, Kerosene the uh, great storm business. of 1913 candle conspiracy. <laughs> conspiracy? Yes. So We have the ability to modify the weather. I got an idea, said the Candle Owner Association of the International Association. I have an idea. Let's make some storms come so we lose power and candle sales go out the roof. We'll all be rich. We'll all have at least $26 in our pockets. <laughs> And they'd be happy. Mm-hmm. $26, $26. $19.13. <laughs> be a rich man. I'm going to buy the entire shipping trade. So the storm, they say, was an extratropical cyclone fueled by the warm water of the lakes at the time. And a lot of people consider you know, the Great Lakes cold water. Yeah, but, but when Yeah, when you consider mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the cycle that it changes mm-hmm. from wintertime to summertime, there's a fluctuation of you know, a good 30 degrees Fahrenheit with oh, that yeah. surface, surface water. Well, do, so do that, you, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people, like we have people, hey, when's a good time to come dive the Great Lakes? Well, if you want warm water, warmer, I'm not going to say it's Caribbean warm, but the warm water is in the fall. Right. You know, it's September time frame. Yeah, you you, might, you're going to you get might, 70 degrees, 75 maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah, up at the surface. Yeah, at the surface, down to like 30 feet maybe even. And, you know, it drops steadily from there on. And pretty much past 100, it's 39 to 41 kind of thing. Right. And the the lakes, a good majority of the, or a good portion of the lake actually freezes over the winter often, Mm -hmm. right? So the water's dropping into the 30s. So there's a cycle there. But at the end of the season, when the air temperature is dropping so dramatically, because the winter's approaching, Mm -hmm. that lake water is actually still pretty warm. And it it Mm -hmm. creates this weird tropical environment right. as far as the atmosphere goes right because the water holds the heat correct a lot more than and the way the these uh there was a couple of storms moving one across mm-hmm. lake superior and then one that 
ended up coming up from like that Pennsylvania Valley area hmm. that converged over the warm areas of northeastern Lake Huron that just created hell on the waters. Hell. The um, yeah, so this um, convergence of these four, uh, two major storms created what uh, is known as a November gale. It produced 90-mile-an-hour wind gusts, waves over 35 feet, and a whiteout snow squall. They say on this uh, website that analysis of the storm and its impact on humans, engineering structures, and the landscape led to better forecasting and faster responses to storm warnings, stronger construction, especially of uh, the, the freighters at the time, and improved preparedness. So as destructive as it was... So we uh, we, cloud, le- we learned a yeah. lot. We ended up learning a lot from. So it. the story kind of has a happy ending. Yeah. Now we got the no. <laughs> now we got the Noah weather reports. Radigan says that there are times when the casual bad weather greeting of the Great Lakes region, God help the sailors on a night like this, becomes an earnest and fearful prayer. The second week of November, nineteen thirteen, is marked on the calendar as one of the fateful times. Like I remember when we were up there this. This past summer, and we had those winds where we got to the boat Saturday morning, and it was obvious there's no damn way mm-hmm. we're going out. And then I had that again, uh, or I should say, we had that again when we went to New York. Like right? No, ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're like, I'm pretty happy with uh, heading back to the hotel and yeah, grabbing a cocktail and something I, to eat. That sounds great to me. You like, know, could you imagine? I'm like, sad we're not diving, <laughs> but I have no f- there. It is not fun out there. Hell trying to no. ride out waves and then trying to get in and out of that boat with twins and eight footers or whatever you're dealing with, it's not fun. Eight footers. Yes. Six footers, five footers even. Three footers is a little bit of like, you're going to work, man. 35 footers. Well, that's but easy. I, the 35 I, footers are a little easier because <laughs> they kind of throw you on the boat. They just throw you up there. Like, but an eight footer is not enough to throw you on board. It might slam you into the ladder. Right, yeah, yeah. See, that's where the it's really hard for us. Thirty footer, nothing. I'd kill for a thirty footer. <laughs> there's these, there's these I'm begging for thirty feet. <laughs> that way, I just I kind of like position myself, put a little gas in my wing, dry suit a little bit, and just wait, just wait for that wave to come. <laughs> Launches you right up there, and if you're good, you land right back in your seat. Dive master takes if takes know, and you straps what, your tanks on. If you know what you're doing. Except <laughs> if you know what you're doing, you're golden. <laughs> Good chance you already have your fins off too. That's the beauty of having the twins too. Those guys in single tanks, they're usually launched like over the bow. It's the weight of that second tank yeah. that usually uh, catches you. Yes, that's what keeps the you benefits. balanced. Yeah, it's all about balance. It is generally agreed that Lake Huron's 1913 storm was the greatest ever to strike the lakes. Beyond all argument, it must be called the worst in loss of life and in loss of shipping. So is it the greatest or the worst? That's all it's I'm the, saying. It's the, the greatest <laughs> of the worst. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, make up my mind for me. It, it was the greatest storm. It was the worst storm. It's the greatest worst storm there ever was. Think of it as a girlfriend. She was the greatest. <laughs> but she was she also was the, the worst. worst. <laughs> yes. yes. That's, that's why she's a former girlfriend. Uh-huh. Well, was, some, I know some people that married their greatest and worst. There was a time <laughs> where she was the greatest. Mm. 
when she became the worst. She could be the greatest and the worst at the same time. And that, my friend, was the November Gale. <laughs> that was November Gale. I would never forget November Gale. <laughs> I was in a pub. I'll never forget old November Gale McCormick. <laughs> Gale McCormick. No other lake storm in modern history even begins to compare with its toll of 235 lives and 40 shipwrecks. What about the Orchard Lake storm of 1921? <laughs> that lost two <laughs> rowboats and a canoe. Several apple trees were like blown out of the orchard that day. No less than eight giant lake freighters went to the bottom of Lake Huron, disappearing with all hands. Not one survivor reached shore to tell what finally happened to any of the long, stout carriers. So in the summer of 2013, Alert Diver magazine did an article about the Great Storm in 1913 at the, like the 100-year anniversary, written by an Erica Blake. An Erica Blake or the Erica Blake? The November Gale, <laughs> Erica Blake. You're sounding a little bit like um, like a uh, like a murder mystery narrator guy. And Amanda Blake showed up one evening. <laughs> the, not the, but you have to keep saying Anne, by one Amanda Blake. Written by one <laughs> Amanda Blake. So this was the 100th anniversary. Yeah, 100 the 100-year anniversary. anniversary. They're kind of like you, and, you know, searching for dates and times, what, yeah. what's relevant. Yeah, it's kind of anniversary. Important. Yeah. Right. And uh, she says that the great storm of 1913 is most accurately termed a storm of legend. King Arthur was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, she mentions that the foundered vessels that now lay silent on the lake floor stay vivid in the minds of Great Lakes historians and scuba divers alike. Most downed of most of the downed ships were stranded in the deeper waters of the lakes and so sank to depths reachable only by technical divers. Recreational divers can reach only three ships, which are located in Lake Huron's lower basin. Do they name them? They do. Let's, let's we, hear them. We know them. We've dove all three of them. Yes, I'm sure. The 250-foot-long steel freighter Wexford... The was old the, Wexford. ...was discovered in 2000, about seven miles off of the Canadian shore. The old Wexford. That's why you have to have your birth certificate or a passport or an enhanced driver's license to go dive it. But even though you're in their waters, I thought you didn't need it unless you went on land. Well, officially, if the boat, boat anchors or the boat oh, moors... Oh, yes, if the boat stands still. Yeah. Right. Okay. So... Got it. Yeah, yeah. Check, check. So check, a little check. bit of uh, you know advice for if, you statesiders. Yeah, so if the boat moors to the wreck, officially that mooring is tied yes. to a wreck that's on the bottom, and it's, so you become part of that bottom land. So you need to yes. be, you need to clear customs in order to go dive that from the states. Yes. And I'm you just trying to demonstrate the arrogance of Americans. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, You're going to make me do this just to go dive well, your, no, the, the, your That boat? over there, yeah. that's Canadians doing that. Well, no, I know. I'm just arrogant because I'm complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the arrogance but, I'm talking about. Last time, don't la you know who I am? That's only recently, though, because, I mean, uh, I used to dive it back in those mid-2000s. They still required and, it. Uh, you and didn't? No, I could have swore because yeah, I was like, I was going to go dive it one time, and then I, I, I'm like, I can't go to that. I don't got no, nothing the, with me. No, the, they didn't change that till 
like in the 2010s or something. Yeah. Because we used to go over from, you know, San Jose area. If, well, if yeah. Good, if we had a good clear day, we'd go yeah. over and do a double. double they didn't dip start on that. requiring, yeah, the craziness that they require now until. To date, the Wexford is the only one of the storm's victims to be found upright. Personal items such as bottles and hand tools can be seen scattered among the broken decking and cavernous cargo holds, while a single davit, which one held a lifeboat in place, hangs empty. The ladders that serve the 18 sailors and two passengers, 19 men and one woman, can now be found lying on the silty lake bed. So one woman, eh? One woman. That's probably why it went down. (laughs) You know, they say bananas and women. Gonna do it every time. Gail McCormick. <laughs> who Gail let, McCormick. Who let Gail McCormick on the Gail boat? Gail McCormick. The Gail of November, as they call her. <laughs> she just comes strutting around local pubs. Hey, you a sailor? Hi, sailor. Can I go for a boat ride? You going out tomorrow? I love boats. Instead of the Mile High Club, she does mm. the. What would it be called? The 50 Fathom <laughs> Club? <laughs> the Mile Low Club? Uh, but, you know, that, that wreck, they do mention there, those cavernous cargo holes. That is one of the cool things on that, on that wreck is yeah, down inside it's cavernous. There, mm-hmm. Big, open, swim through. That's a pretty pretty dive, and it's yeah. relatively shallow, so when you get the, mm-hmm. like the sun gotta, shining yes. through on a, on a pretty day, that's a, that's a really Those majestic. make awesome pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, reminds me, maybe we can start a new, start a, you know, like they have the Mile High Club. Let's do, <laughs> we can call it the Mile Low Club. I mean, the Mile High Club is usually an exaggeration of decreased altitude because it's, I guess it's a mile or higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. We can't, we can, I mean, we can to say we can stay a mile low club, but we can just, we're going to, I like the term and the wording. Let's, uh, let's get people in the mile low club. What about we call it Gail's Gift? Gail's <laughs> Gift. That'll be our, our charity organization name. Gail's Gift. The have Mile you, Low Club. Like, you could just say your buddy. Give your hubby Gail's Gift this <laughs> yeah. year. Have you received Gail's, have you received Gail's <laughs> Gift? You say that to your buddies. Have you received Gail's Gift? Are you a member of the Mile Low Club? You mean Mile High Club? No. Everybody's in the Mile Fucking High Club. The Mile Low Club. Closer to the U.S. shoreline in Lake Huron's Sanilac Shores Underwater Preserve is the final resting place of one of the area's most visited shipwrecks. The... Regina. <laughs> the Regina. The Regina. Don't call it the Regina. A lot of Americans, you know, don't feel comfortable calling it the Regina. They call it the Regina. Just because it re- rhymes with something? Do, do you not call her Dolores because of the possible rhyming connotations? What the hell? It's Regina. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, very true. It is Regina. Named after Gail Regina. <laughs> Named after Gail's Regina, by the way. <laughs> That's why I'm going to feminist hell one day. <laughs> That's why they hate me. You know, at the beginning of this, I, I, I thought I was doing really good with my journalistic. Yes, you are. You are, as you always do. It's the constant struggle. It's like a little tug of war goes back and forth. If it was just one yank and it goes one direction, right. this, this would be no be good. This yeah. would be just like another boring old a, news story. It's the constant uh, push and pull of the yin-yang forces. 
also a 250 long steel freighter. The Regina was discovered in 1986, lying overturned in about 80 feet of water. Tools, personal items, and food containers lie in the expansive debris field around the vessel. Do you, do you, not to interrupt you again, but do you remember when they found that? you remember how big it was here in the diving community? Um, that was I huge. was not in the diving community oh, in the 80s. That was right, I came home right after being certified. Yeah. Uh, on, so I, was, I came home on leave, and that was the biggest thing in the dive community was they found this wreck. <coughs> and I dove it shortly thereafter, again, on leave. But uh, I was like, what's the big deal? Visibility was shit. Back in those days, yes, it was just shit. It was it was pretty dark. It wasn't a night dive, but it was a dark dive. Viz was maybe four feet, five feet. Right, right. I mean, I did. I took my beginner class in '89, so I was. was Yeah, you got a few more years after that. I don't think I really got onto the Great Lakes until the mid '90s, early to mid '90s, probably. Okay. Yeah, it it was a huge deal when they found it in the dive. You know, you go to the dive shops and. Not that I, I was I was a new diver back then, but I went to the oh, did you hear they found this wreck and blah 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 blah. It was even on the news. Well, I remember yeah. the I mean the Regina was one of the first wrecks that I got out to do. Yeah, and I remember it's a milk run, you know. Well, now it is. It, now it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But back then it was a, it was a pretty big deal, and I remember like just being used to the different boats and the things you would see at the, the local training quarry, which, you know, when you're just a Midwestern kid going diving, seeing the different cabin cruisers at the time were pretty impressive. Yeah. And I remember the guys at the dive shop saying, oh, my God, wait. <laughs> wait till your eyes see the size of this. Like, you'd be blown away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, it is good size. Well, yeah, but, and then at the time, the visibility yeah. is so bad, it really encompasses all of your vision is just a so, little I mean, the wreck seemed mm-hmm. so big back then. Like I remember like even the sport, you know, which was the, the other little quickie run that everybody did. I mean, that, that, you know, 50 foot long right. tug, tug. Boat seemed like a huge ship back then because you could only see a fraction of the ship at the time. Like now the water's so clear. I mean, you get in the water, you hit 20 feet, you can see the see whole it. entire right. wreck, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can almost see it from the, surface and when you know it's done at 60 ish plus so you can start to see the hull and whatnot the keel from the surface sometimes some days, the regina, yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean there's times yeah you'll you'll see see that right away tools personal items and food containers lie in the expansive debris field around the vessel perhaps the most impressive of the regina's features is the ship's name on the bow still easily visible Thanks to the divers who frequently rub the letters clean of silt and growth. Yes, and that, I think we got I, a, I, I was, a good I was, shot of that. I always think uh, of that Regina. name as being on the on the stern, right? Because mm-hmm. you know the upside down mm-hmm. letters when you can get the the shot of the where you go in to penetrate a little bit underneath, the, well, and then you get the just of, to the after that is the uh, the name. Right. Yeah. And then you can get the shot of the 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 name looking up, up and seeing right. that beautiful. Prop Prop and rudder. Yeah. That's still, I mean, for a a shipwreck that's Mm -hmm. in 80 feet of water, max depth. Max depth, yeah. That is one of the most impressive wrecks out in the Great Lakes. It's cool to see, you know. Uh, You you got to get around it and see it, though. I mean, to just just bop down and if you're just looking at the hull, 
you know, the keel. It's just a keel sticking up. But you got to get down and see it and well, yeah, stuff yeah, laying yeah. around by the stacks. Yeah, you and definitely stuff like don't that. swim down the side. <laughs> you're just seeing. Yeah, the, you're just <laughs> you're seeing one side of the muscles keel. On, yeah. on steel. steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the other side, you know, where because it's kind of listing in into the mud on that that starboard side there. But the underside of it, and then that whole debris field where everything spilled out. The cool thing is just the way the water moves there in Southern Lake Huron. Year after year after year, it's, it's a different bottom. Yes. Oh yeah, it's always uh, uncovering some new crap. Yeah, like like this past year when we went out there just to kind of kick off the season, uh, we saw new pottery out there, mm-hmm. crates of those old ketchup bottles Mm -hmm. and just real i love old ketchup bottles that was amazing those ketchup bottles are amazing well mr hines not like the whiskey (laughs) bottles of old old del monte and hines going at it ketchup wars of 1913 i don't know if you remember that farther south in the preserve resting in 65 feet of water is the charles s price also discovered upside down at 504 feet from bow to stern, the price sank with all hands lost, a total of 28 men, and is now an expansive dive site that features a massive four-blade propeller. Massive. Expansive. Yeah, they do have some pictures. If you go online and uh, check out this, these storms of 1913, there's several pictures of the bodies that uh, washed ashore from these shipwrecks. So kind of drives home the reality of the shipwrecks it's cool to dive it and if you can keep that in your forefront they are kind of you know it's a a graveyard to a certain extent yeah at the end of the day these were tremendous calamities catastrophes tragedies a lot of sad stories through the storm of 1913 there were long ships passing all night saturday through the straits of mackinac into lake huron from lake michigan and there were long ships passing early sunday morning november 9th up the Detroit and St. Clair Rivers into Lake Huron from Lake Erie. Early Sunday morning, Howard Mackley, second mate aboard the Charles S. Price, mailed a letter to his wife as his boat was passing Detroit. Later that same evening, while the Price moved her long length up the St. Clair River toward Lake Huron, he stood in the pilot house and pulled the whistle and customary salute to his young wife, who had come down to the dock at their St. Clair home to wave until the boat was out of sight. There were many others who went to the docks that day, heedless of bad weather, to wave goodbye from Marine City, Marysville, Port Huron, Sarnia, and other ports that last saw the doomed ships before Lake Huron swallowed them forever. Nor was she the only sailor's wife never to sleep a wink that night. So all these ships were going out because of the storm, didn't look that bad at first and then and then there was also a little bit of what they called a sucker hole the old sucker i don't i'm come, not even gonna touch that <laughs> come that saturday <laughs> where they, they they thought the storm was over so all mm-hmm. these ships were rolling into lake huron finishing their course thinking talk hey, no big deal nothing but clear now, this, this storm skies. wasn't the storm wasn't even that bad yeah. and that's when all shit was about to break loose so they say that the the Storm was first noticed on Thursday, the 6th, on the west side of Lake Superior. And it was rolling downward towards Lake Michigan. And the Detroit News at the time just said it was, eh, it was a, there's a storm. It's a, like a moderate little brisk storm out there. On that next day, the Friday, the Port Huron Times Herald described the storm as moderately severe. Is it Friday the 13th yet? Or? 
This is November the 7th. The 7th. Okay, so we're still. This is that the buildup. Because things really didn't start uh, kicking until the the eighth and ninth. Ninth, yeah, I know the you know, ninth is it, when uh, the Regina or uh, Wexford yeah. went down. Probably the Regina too. What about the Edmund <laughs> Fitzgerald? At ten a.m. of the seventh, still the Coast Guard stations, U.S. Department of Agriculture Weather Bureau offices said, "Fellas, it's been good to know you." They raised the white pennants above the red square flags with black centers, indicating a storm warning. Later, they um, replaced those with a vertical sequence of red, white, and red lanterns, indicating that hurricane winds of over 74 mile per hour were coming. By Saturday, everybody had uh, upgraded these storms to severe. But then, uh, like I said, that, that sucker hole came, and there was a big false lull in the storm, and all these... Uh, Boat Ships patterns. and everyone, they're like, money to be made. There's our window. Let's go. What cost, though? It could end up costing them $27.95 <laughs> that year. <laughs> and in today's money, we know that that's it's $100 about a billion. billion. <laughs> By noon on Sunday, November 9th, weather conditions in Lake Huron were close to normal for a typical November gale. Uh, and the barometric pressure actually began to rise back up a little bit in some places, you know, hmm. showing mm-hmm. that yeah, the storm settled back, down, yeah. everything's settling mm-hmm. down. Uh, the low pressure had moved away. We we're all good. And again, we were talking about how at the time, the, the Weather Bureau only reported eight in the morning and eight mm-hmm. at night, basically. And this later proved to be a real serious problem because the shit that happened with the buildup of all these hurricane winds... Um, they just didn't have a way to detail it and get this information mm-hmm. out to the different In boats. Time. Yeah, yeah. And they say on the Wikipedia that along southeastern Lake Erie near the city of Erie, Pennsylvania, a southern low-pressure area was moving toward the lake. This low had formed overnight, so was absent from Friday's weather map. It had been traveling northward and began moving northwestward after passing over Washington, D.C., the intense counterclockwise rotation of the low was made apparent by the changing wind directions around its center. In Buffalo, New York, morning northwest winds had shifted to northeast by noon and were blowing southeast by 5 p.m. with the fastest gusts, 80 miles per hour, occurring between 1 and 2. Just 180 miles to the southwest in Cleveland, Ohio, winds remained northwest during the day, shifting to the west by 5 p.m., and maintaining speeds of more than 50 miles an hour. The fastest gusts, 79 miles per hour, occurred by 4.40 p.m. There was a drop, a dramatic drop in barometric pressure at Buffalo from 29.52 inches of mercury to 28.77 inches of mercury. And from my understanding, like when the barometric pressure drops by like, and two almost an inch, two tenths <laughs> of, of an, an inch. inch. Yeah, they're they're like ah, the storms are brewing. Mm-hmm. They say that the rotating low continued along its northwest path, along its northward path into the evening, bringing its counterclockwise winds in phase with the northwesterly winds already hitting Lake Superior and Huron. This resulted in an explosive increase in northerly wind speeds and swirling snow. Ships on Lake Huron that were south of Alpena, Michigan, especially around Harbor Beach and Port Huron in Michigan, and Goderich and Sarnia in Ontario, were battered with massive waves moving towards the St. Clair River. From 8 p.m. to midnight, the storm became what modern meteorologists call a weather bomb. 
winds gusting of uh, you know over 90 miles per hour off of that Harbor Beach area, mm-hmm. which as we know as Great Lakes divers is... It's the Dunderberg. Fantastic <laughs> shipwreck diving, <laughs> right? Good, yeah. I mean, I mean that's uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, for all these sailors, have, has later become world-renowned mm-hmm. shipwreck diving. One, the, the the number of wrecks and with what's happened with our water out there on big, yeah. beautiful blue over the last, you know, couple of decades, uh, the water is just magically clear and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Good diving. Thank you. Thank you, zebra mussels. On Monday morning, the storm had moved northeast of London, Ontario, dragging lake effect blizzards in its wake. An additional 17 inches of snow was dumped on Cleveland, Ohio that day, filling the street with six-foot snowdrifts. The greatest damage was done on the lakes. Major shipwrecks occurred on all but Lake Ontario, with most happening on southern and western Lake Huron. Lake Masters recounted that the waves reached at least 35 feet in height. Being shorter in length than waves ordinarily formed by gales, they occurred in rapid succession, with three waves frequently striking in succession. Masters also stated that the wind often blew in directions opposite to the waves below. This was the result of the storm's cyclone. Cyclonic. Of the storm's cyclonic motion, a phenomenon rarely seen on the Great Lakes. In the late afternoon of November 10th, an unknown vessel was spotted floating upside down in about 60 feet of water on the eastern coast of Michigan within sight of Huronia Beach and the mouth of the St. Clair River. Determining the identity of this mystery ship became of regional interest, resulting in daily front page news articles. Radigan says again that on Tuesday, a farmer looking out from a high cliff near Grand Bend along the Canadian shore sighted the first body given up by the storm. Washed in and then out by successive waves, the body's arms were extended from the elbows in such a way as to create the impression of a dead man pleading for help. Farther along the beach, two more bodies were found. All three bore life jackets with the name Wexford. A smashed lifeboat with the same identification turned in conclusive evidence that the sturdy 270-foot Canadian package freighter, the typical British tramp built in Scotland to weather the gales of the seven seas, had gone down with her crew of 17 on Lake Huron after riding out many an ocean storm. Yes, that shows the difference between just the water you deal with when you enter those vast great lakes. Like like Lake, Lake Superior in size is like, the size of the whole northeastern United States of America, you know. I mean, it's enormous yeah. bodies of water for for the people yeah, around the country and around the world yeah. that just don't understand the grasp of the the vastness of the size of the Great Lakes, you know. And even those big waves crossing from Europe over to America, they might be big, but they're big and slow the rollers, and rolling yeah. waves. The frequency isn't even close to the same. These. Uh, large you know a 30 foot wave on the great lakes that comes like bam 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 or like atomic bombs going off Mm -hmm. yeah right all week long the dying storm carried wreckage and bodies into the lake huron beaches many of the scenes of discovery spoke their own mute stories of heroism men were found with their heads bowed across life preservers as if praying men with ice in their hair men were found wrapped in each other's arms and men were found in frozen clusters 
Herbert Jones, a steward aboard the Charles S. Price, was found with his apron frozen stiff around him as though he had been about to prepare a meal when disaster struck. Hope for missing vessels dwindled throughout the week, and they had to be counted lost as bodies and marked life preservers, identified ill-starred ships, wrecked on Lake Huron with all hands. Besides the Wexford, the Price, the Carruthers, and the Argus were the 440-foot freighter Hydrus, the 269-foot Canadian package freighter Regina, the 452-foot John A. McGeehan, bound out of Sandusky with coal for South Chicago, and the 524-foot Isaac M. Scott, which was sailing up the open horseshoe and, and heading around for Milwaukee when her good fortune spilled out. A total of 178 sailor lives, men and women, came to an untimely end when these eight carriers disappeared in the storm, none of them to be seen again except the mystery ship. The old mystery ship. It was just old Bob and Cheryl out for an evening of romance. No, that was the price that was I know, floating kidding. upside down. I am, of course, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the price. <laughs> Men and women, faces sharp with sorrow or swollen in grief, filled past the bodies and gazed intently at each face as the blankets were lifted one by one. The young wife of the second mate who had blown the whistle to her as the Charles S. Price passed up the St. Clair River into Lake Huron Sunday morning had to rub the tears from her eyes every time she looked, but she shook her head all the way down the line. Her husband's body was never found. Milton Smith, the assistant engineer who had quit the Price in Cleveland, also came to Thedford. The first body he was asked to identify gave him a shock. Despite the ruthless battering of the storm, he recognized his former chief, John Groundwater. That's big, good-natured John, he said. All the boys liked him. Are you sure, demanded the coroner. Sure, I'm sure. I worked under him all season. I saw him just last Saturday. I ought to know. Why? What's the trouble? If he was chief engineer aboard the Price, said the coroner, then why has he got a Regina life preserver wrapped around him? Because he stole one of the Regina <laughs> life preservers as a... Souvenir. He uh, he stole it from the boys <laughs> when they were they were they were both up in uh, Saint Ignace one night, <laughs> drinking yeah, exactly drinking some brewskis. He stuck Let's a board and swiped the swiped the life preserver. Let's go take a, a little walk around the harbor, boys. Snuck on the no. <laughs> so sailors so. out there, never take your eye off your life preservers. Exactly. The question is echoed from 1913 to this day. Other bodies identified as from the crew of the Price were picked up also wearing life preservers marked Regina. It may be speculated that the two boats were slammed together in the storm so that men passed from one deck to the other, seizing any life preserver handy. Perhaps as the ships were sinking, life preservers thrown to those knocked into the water by the theoretical collision were grabbed at by members of both crews struggling to stay afloat. All this granted for the sake of argument. Why were no Regina men ever found wearing Price life preservers? Somehow, the crews must have met and intermingled in that hurricane blizzard. Perhaps the Price went down so suddenly that her crew had no time to put on life preservers. And the crew of the nearby Regina, sinking more slowly, had a chance to toss the drowning men extra life preservers that were aboard their boat. Perhaps a thousand things. Only Lake Huron knows what really happened as she kept her secret 
47 years. Maybe the guys from the price stole all the Regina life preservers. And that's why they all died on the Regina. Well, you know, they believe that the um, the price collided into the Regina. The Regina. Yeah. Well, that right? makes sense. Like split all that, that big gash that's in the side of the ship. That's where it went down. Think, yeah, that would make sense. And then the, the price is what flipped over and floated for days. Mm. That was that old mystery ship. It says here that the price did eventually sink. Uh, not until early Saturday morning, November 15th. It was finally identified as the price. They actually uh, sent out a diver to figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. The Wikipedia mentions that this was the first time with the price that a fully loaded ore carrier had been capsized. The front page of that day's Port Huron Times Herald extra edition read, Boat is price. Diver is baker. Secret known. Milton Smith an assistant engineer who decided at the last moment not to join his crew on premonition of disaster aided in identifying any bodies that were found. Really? On a premonition of disaster? You know how those uh, sailors get those uh, premonitions? I think everybody gets those premonitions. I don't think it's limited to sailors. But I think sailors may take heed to it a little more. Yeah. They get tattoos of mermaids and sparrows. Gale. Gale. <laughs> Gale. Tattoo of Gale's vagina is on my arm. <laughs> um, Radigan mentions about the same thing. On Saturday, November 15th, at the close of the most disastrous week in Lake Huron's history, the secret of the mystery ship was at last unlocked. Still floating upside down in the open lake above Port Huron, she had been the object of much guesswork. There was even wild conjecture that another vessel might be found under her bow. A diver ending this theorizing by going down and working his way around the hull. He located the nameplate and identified the long carrier that had figured in the story of Lake Huron Storm from start to finish. The 524-foot ore boat Charles S. Price, on which assistant engineer Milton Smith had decided not to take the last trip. There was no other vessel under the bow of the price. The diver found that the buoyancy of the hull was due to imprisoned air, now slowly escaping in two streams of bubbles. Carefully investigating revealed not a sign of any collision, and so the mystery of why the price men had been washed ashore wearing Regina life preservers was deeper than ever. Finally, on November 17th, the huge three-year-old freighter, which had been considered capable of withstanding any storm and which had been equipped with every known device to ensure its safety, sank from sight and joined the seven of her sisters who had been preceded by her by going down with all hands a week before. Wild stuff, man. Wild storm, eh? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, we just don't have stuff like that nowadays anymore. Thanks. Thankfully, I mean, you know, I mean, it's to gonna the weather be, It's going to be stormy this weekend on the 9th. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking 30-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah. And it's going to be wicked and stormy at 30 Have miles Have you ever hour. been on a quarry in 30-mile-per-hour winds? <laughs> I'm going to be glad I'm going to be teaching on a quarry this weekend, actually, in considering. So, yeah, of the ships that foundered in that storm, Lake Superior had uh, the Henry B. Smith with 25 victims and the Lee Field with 18 victims. Lake Michigan had the Plymouth, which was a barge that had seven victims on it. Lake Huron was the big one with the Argus, 28 victims, the Price with 28 victims, the Hydrus with 25 victims, the Isaac Scott with 28 victims, the James Carruthers with 22 victims, the John McGeehan with 23 victims, 
the Regina and the Wexford both had 20 victims. And then there was a ship in Lake Erie, the light ship LV-82 Buffalo with six victims. Lots of victims. Lots of victims. And uh, those of you who ever do make your way up to uh, that Port Sanilac, Harbor Beach, Port Austin, Grindstone, you know, tip of the thumb in Lower Lake Huron in Michigan, you might see a historical marker along the highway driving up the road there that was erected in 1957. Talks about the Great Storm of 1913, one of our historical markers. It says that sudden tragedy struck the Great Lakes on November 9th, 1913. When a storm whose equal veteran sailors could not recall left in its wake death and destruction, the grim toll was 235 seamen drowned, 10 ships sunk, and more than 20 others driven ashore. Here on Lake Huron, all 178 crewmen on the eight ships claimed by its waters were lost. For 16 terrible hours, gales of cyclonic fury made man and his machines helpless. There you go, people. There's uh, the great storm of 1913. On that note, let's uh, let's sign some logbooks and uh, put this great storm behind us. All right. We hope you enjoyed this fine little dive into what makes a good majority of the Great Lakes shipwreck diving possible, especially here in uh, Lower Lake Huron, kind of our backyard. So here, uh, here, so let me uh, let me sign your logbook. Okay, here you go. That was a big blow. <laughs> okay uh, Fellas, it's too rough to serve you James, it's been good to know you Love, Edmund Fitzgerald <laughs> Okay, see you later guys, thanks Safe diving He got a Regina life preserver wrapped around him, the coroner said. <laughs> you said Regina. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's what went through my mind. <laughs> if it was a Beavis and Butthead skit. <laughs> you said Regina.